Good morning, Grace. Our text for today is Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. I invite you to turn there as we read from Scripture this morning. Church, hear the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was, each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, said, they are filled with new wine. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Amen. Thank you for that. Well, good morning, Grace Church. My name is Grant. I'm the pastor at the Winter Garden Campus. As you notice, uh, Pastor Mike is not here. He is on vacation. He and Kelly, they've been spending the week on the beach just relaxing, doing whatever they do. I imagine Kelly is French braiding his beard, and they are just like laying around and just doing whatever. But you know, as, as, as I get started, what every preacher wants to start their sermon with is an announcement. So I get one. So here you go. Um, as you may have known, we were been looking for a campus pastor at Oviedo, and uh, we got one. And so he actually starts today. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah, all right. Clint Harrison is his name, Clint and Jean, and uh, they actually, he actually starts um, today. And so if you would, what would be great is if everyone could pull out their phone and uh, find him on Facebook, Clint Harrison. Uh, he's from Macon, Georgia, and he looks like it. That's not like a rude thing to say. He just does. Like you look at me like, ah, oh, yeah, that guy's from Georgia. So anyway, so look him up. I want him to have like 200 friend requests when he comes out of the service. I want him to be real confused and poke him too. Is that still a thing on Facebook? I don't know. It shouldn't be. It's a weird thing. All right. But anyway, today is, um, is, a, is Pentecost Sunday. And that's what we just read in Acts chapter 2. We saw the Holy Spirit pouring out onto God's church. And we see the start of the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. But before we look at that, and we will, but before we look at that, we need to back up to Acts chapter 1. Because without Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2 doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so let me kind of give you some context. So Jesus has been spending 40 days with his disciples. And now it's time for him to ascend into heaven. And so he tells them, look, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You need to wait in Jerusalem for it. And then they go, hey, hey, real quick, before you leave, though, uh, are you going to establish the kingdom here? Are you going to restore Israel now? And Jesus is like, oh, my gosh. All right, guys. And then in verse 7, he goes, look, 
God has his plans, God has his timing. Basically what he's saying is like, that is not of primary concern right now, all right? Like the question you're asking, and, and honestly, if we look back at it, it's a little off base, but he says, you know what, that's not your primary concern. Your primary concern is this, and that's where we get Acts 1.8. And maybe this is a very familiar verse to you. Uh, I know it is for me. I, I grew up a Southern Baptist, and so if there are any other Baptists out there, you've seen this verse like painted on a fellowship hall somewhere in your, in your old church, right? And I know you're out there because I saw you in worship, and so I saw you... I know how Baptists worship, the T-Rex worship, you know, where you have the T-Rex arms, right? You know what I mean? Like, I'll raise my hands, but like not too much, right? I don't want people to see it. All right. So anyway, so Acts 1.8 is that verse, and here it is. Here's what Jesus said. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You are my witnesses. That is what matters. And this is the last thing he says before he ascends into heaven. So you know it matters, right? Like this is important. And he says, you will be my witnesses. This is your primary identity. Forget everything else. Don't get distracted by everything else. You are my witnesses. And I think he says the same thing to us. He commissions us in the same way. And he's saying to every single uh, believer from now until he returns, you are my witnesses. That is your identity. We need to own it, right? I think sometimes we can push that on other people. Like, yeah, that's the, yeah, the pastor, right? If, if you want to see what being like Jesus is like, like if you want to be godly or whatever, like look at Pastor Mike, right? Like look at Pastor Chad, look at Pastor Grant. Well, okay, no one's ever said that. But like if that we push it on other people like they're the witnesses like yeah we need we need to support missionaries and all that is true but own this understand that you are God's witness you are God's plan a to to testify to the world about who he is you are every single person who follows Jesus and so how do we witness like what does that look like I I think sometimes we get confused we confuse witnesses with like an attorney like if you go into a court of law and you, and you see an attorney, what's an attorney do? An attorney is like collecting all this evidence and they're making arguments and they're trying to, they're trying to persuade you to one side and, and, and they want to bring conviction and all these other things. What does a witness do? A witness simply says what they saw. That's it. That's the witness's only job. Their wit- their, a witness's job is not to convict. It's not to press somebody. It's not to try to get any type of, per- like they're not trying to persuade anybody. They're just saying what they saw, right? If you go into a court and, and, and they say, yeah, I'm the witness. So I saw the red car hit the blue car. And then I saw a black car drift around the corner and it launched off that car and it did a 180 and Vin Diesel was driving. I saw Fast and the Furious. That's what I saw. All right. But, but like, that's what a witness does. All a witness does is testify to what they've seen. And that's what you and I do. We are not called to convict anybody. We're not called to argue with people, to press people. We are called to simply say what we have seen, right? So we are witnesses when we testify to the truth of God that we've seen in our lives, in his word, and in his church. That's how we witness, right? We testify to what we've seen, the truth of God that we've seen in our lives and in his church and in his word, right? And we testify in two main ways. We talk and we walk, right? And that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. Like they were testifying through their words. You see that the disciples, when, when the Spirit of God rushes on them and they begin to speak, what do they say? They start to talk about the mighty works of God that they have seen, right? And that's what Peter does in Acts chapter 2. He comes out and he preaches and he preaches a message. I've seen Jesus crucified. I've seen Jesus resurrected. And so God gives them an opportunity to speak and that's how he testified. And sometimes God will give you opportunities to speak. When my wife and I 
first moved here, um, I mean, we brought our kids too. I don't know why I said that. When my family first moved here, uh, well, they really followed us. Uh, they found us. But one night I was like, I'm bored. I want to put together a bunch of furniture with an Allen wrench. So we went to Ikea and we bought, we bought all this furniture and we were in line and we met a family there. And uh, we just kind of like, we, we just said, hey, you know, we're kind of new to the area. Um, we've been here like 48 hours. And they're like, yeah, well, we'd love to get together with you sometime. So we, we went and we had ice cream with them in Winter Garden. And uh, Winter Garden's great, by the way. Like, if you've never been, like, it's just all ice cream. That's all it is. All meals are ice cream and cotton candy and there's parades. But anyway, so we went, we had ice cream, and we're sitting there talking to him afterwards. And he was asking about the church. And I said, you know, it's really, we love that we're here because, like, Central Florida just not a lot of people go to church in Central Florida. And then in Winter Garden, like even less people go to church. And so we love this opportunity to be here. And, and he's not a believer and, and he's like a serial entrepreneur. And so he's thinking through his like business mindset. And he says, why, don't you want, why wouldn't you want to go find your market and then go put your church there? And I was like, what do you mean find my market? And he goes, find where the Christians are and then go give them the product they want. Go give them the church. And like that's, and you'll, that's how you build a church. And in that moment, I, I either could have been like, uh-huh, yeah, I'm going to go get more strawberry ice cream, right? Or I could, or in that moment, like, I could speak. And I think the Lord gave me an opportunity to speak. And so I said to him, like, oh, no, 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 you misunderstand. Like, I believe that your best joy, my deepest joy, everyone on this planet's deepest joy is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Like, I, I believe that, that your only hope standing before a holy God is Jesus, and so I want to go where people aren't. I want to go where there is no market, right? Like, that's what we believe. We believe that, like, we have a message of hope for the world. That's why we want to go there. And so maybe God will give you opportunities to testify about him. Like, maybe you're at your work and someone talks about some difficulty they're dealing with in their family, some tragedy, and you go, you know what? I I've had that same experience. I had that same tragedy. Can I tell you how kind God was to me through all of that? Can I tell you how Jesus got me through that? Like maybe the, the Father wants us to testify with our words or maybe just with our walk. You see at the end of Acts chapter 2, you see their community. It's all focused on them getting together. They're, they're, they're listening to the apostles' teaching. They're, they're fellowshipping. They're breaking bread. And, and, and it's just about their community. And it's so different. People are being drawn in. It says that the Lord's adding to their number every day those who are being saved. And there's something about their community that's just drawing people in. People are seeing the way that they're living and God's using that to change their lives. It makes me think about, um, so my wife and I, we have four kids, and uh, three of them are in school now. And we used to talk about, like, how great that would be, you know, like, like what a relief. She's a stay-at-home mom. Like, what a relief that would be for her. And, uh, and I think, like, if, if the kids were out of the house, if I was a stay-at-home mom, I'd be one ugly stay-at-home mom. But if I was a stay-at-home mom and my kids are in school, like, I think I would just want to do the things I can't do when kids are around. So basically any task that is more than one step, right? Like that's it. The truth is, parents, come on now. Isn't that true, right? Like anything beyond one step. Isn't that why you've had the same load of laundry in the washer for seven days? Isn't that why? Because you put it in and it's more than one step. And then you go help the kids with something. You forget about it and you come back and you're like, why does my laundry room smell? Oh, laundry. And you wash it again, like over and over again. And, and so I would think you'd want to do stuff like that. Stuff you can't do in the kids' round. Like go to the bathroom by yourself or nap or like watch a TV show that doesn't have a cartoon character in it. Like I would think you would want to do all of those things. But you know what my wife does? She volunteers at the school. Like volunteers at the school. There is no payment for that. I have checked. She volunteers at the school. And why, why would she do that? 
Is it because she just like she just loves schools, right? And she just wants to be around all that environment and she just loves it being loud and whatever? No. She's there to be a witness. She's there to be a witness. Like she is there and and you know the maybe the only sermon that the teachers will hear in that school. They won't hear a sermon like you'll hear, but they'll hear a sermon on God's kindness through the way my wife talks to the children. Or or they'll hear a sermon on the grace of God and the mercy of God and the way that she deals with that kid in the class, and you know that kid. Maybe you have that kid, you know, and if you do, God bless you. But you understand what I'm saying. Like, they're watching the way that she lives, and in that way, she's a witness. And so we do the same thing. That's why Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Like, I have set you up for people to watch you, right? And so does your life testify about who God is. And that's the way we witness. But then, but then where do we do this? Jesus, in, in the scripture, he gives us these concentric circles, right? Starting with Jerusalem and just radiating out. He says there in Acts 1-8, again, look, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think he was being literal to them. I, I do. And, and I think at the same time, we can look at this figuratively for us. When you think about Jerusalem, I think he's calling us to be a witness in our primary places of influence. So in our homes, with our families, with our friends, with our coworkers, in our neighborhoods, in, in places like that, in our primary places of influence. And this, this takes a change of perspective, right? Because this is saying that the main way that you relate to people in your primary place of influence, the main way you relate to people in your home, to your children, to your wives, to your neighbors, the main way you relate to them is you are a witness of God. You are testifying to who God is. If I want to be a good father to my children, then I will mainly be a good witness to my children. If I want to be a good husband to my wife, I will mainly be a good witness to my wife of what God of of who God is, right? And the same thing for our neighbors and for our friends. Like it's a complete shift in the way that we think. We've got a guy in Winter Garden who his job has completely changed. Like his job went from he was getting paid mostly salary, a little commission. Now he's almost 100% commission. They've changed their leadership structure. He's got new bosses and they brought someone in to kind of like help him with his job. So now he's got somebody else to work with. And we're sitting there at breakfast. He's telling me all this, like how quickly his world is changing. And you know what his main concern was? The thing he kept bringing up over and over again. He said, you know, with all these changes, I wonder how God wants me to minister there. Like, I, I wonder what he wants me to do. How can I be a good witness with all of this change that's going on in my job? Would that be your first question? It wouldn't be mine, to be quite honest. You know, like, I would go, wait, my compensation is changing, right? You know what I mean? Like, I, I wait, this is commission now? So does this mean my coworkers are, are like competitors, right? I would meet, I'd be slashing tires. Do you understand? Like, I, that's the, where my brain would go. And he goes, no, 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 I'm, I'm a witness. That's primarily why I'm there is I'm a witness in that place. And so how can I be a witness of God in this ever-changing landscape? And then, and then it goes on from there, Judea. And that, I would say that's places of secondary influence. Like you think about grocery stores or community events and things where you interact with people differently. And again, it's a complete perspective shift, right? Like the main reason now, according to this, the main reason now you go to Aldi is not to buy the off-brand Frosted Flakes, which are what, tiger dandruff or whatever they're called, right? Like the main reason you go to Aldi is to be a witness, not just to buy really cheap, awkward tasting food. I'm sorry, Angela, I just don't like it. Can we please go back to Publix? But anyway, so the main reason is we are to be witnesses. It completely shifts. I mean, think about it. When you go to lunch today, let me rephrase that. When you take me and my wife to lunch today, 
the main reason you are there is not just to pick up the bill. Though you should. The main reason that you are there is not for good customer service. It's not to be waited on. It's to be a witness to the waiters, to the waitresses, to the people next to you, to the host, to the hostess. Like when you stand before the Father, he does not care if your eggs were cold or not at Cracker Barrel. He does not care if you got good customer service. He cares if, were you a good witness? When I sent you there, because God is sovereign, when I sent you to that restaurant, did you show them that there's a loving God? Did you show them my kindness? Did you show them my grace? Or did you get good service? I have to, I feel like this is a safe place. I hope this is a safe place. If it's not, well, whatever. Um, I have a confession. I understand this is my fault. This is nobody else's problem. This is my problem. But I have like a pet peeve. I have something that bothers me when it comes to waiters and waitresses. And here it is. When you're sitting in a booth and the waiter or waitress sits down next to you and they're like, what are we having? Now, let me just tell you this. That freaks me out. Like every time that happens, I'm like, I need an adult, right? Like something is wrong. Like that's not how this works. You stand, I sit, I give money, you bring food. Like that's, that's our relationship. And when they sit down, I'm just like, I don't want this. This isn't what I want, right? The people I want to eat with are here. I invited them, right? Like, I don't, I don't want this. And, and, and so literally, we were eating yesterday. We were at this restaurant. The waitress, just a slow day, didn't have anything to do, sits down next to me on the booth. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> then, hang on, it gets better. My son had a dinosaur, a stuffed animal, and it was sitting next to me. And she began to pet it and ask me what plans I had for the day. And I was like, oh, no, right? Like, this is my nightmare. This is my living nightmare. And immediately in that moment, again, like, if it's about me, then, then you know what? Like, I, it's about how I feel, what makes me comfortable, what I want out of this experience. But here's the thing. Christians, listen, the Bible's clear. We, Grant has been crucified with Christ. Grant's not alive anymore. Jesus is. Like, I live for Jesus, And Jesus sent me in that restaurant not to sit there and enjoy bacon and eggs, though I do. Not to do that. He sent me there to be a witness to her. He sent me there to show her that she is supremely valuable to our loving God. And so in that moment, it wasn't about how I felt. It was about her. And so as a witness, we are sent to all of these places to, again, rethink, reshape the way we think. Look at the third one. He says, um, to Samaria. So I don't know if you know the Samaritans and Jews did not like each other. This would have been a shocking thing for Jesus to say. Like the Jews at one point tore down all of the worship, the, the idol worship spots for the Samaritans. So the Samaritans took bones and desecrated the Jewish places of worship. So they are not pals, not on the Christmas card list, right? And Jesus says, I'm going to send you there. And I think what he's saying is, you're going to be my witnesses in places you don't want to go. I'm going to send you to places that you don't want to go. And so you're going to go to the places that are uncomfortable for you. And you're going to go to the places that you don't like. And you're going to go to the places that are painful and maybe even dangerous. I'm going to send you in, right? Like there are hurt people in really dark places. And maybe the Lord is saying, yeah, that's your Samaria. I need you to go in there after them. It makes me think about, we had this this couple in, in Memphis we knew who, this woman came to our church and she was part of a recovery program. Uh, she was, she was uh, addicted to several different substances. And so they let her out of this program 
um, which they shouldn't have. She, she still had these, these issues, and, but they let her out of the program, and this couple just felt called to this woman, and they invited her into their home. And all of a sudden, this family, this normal family, normal with, with kids and the just normal jobs, normal minivan, all that, they invite this woman into their home, and now they've entered into a world of addiction and deception and pain and brokenness. And why do they do that? Because Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses in Samaria. I want you to be my witnesses in places you don't want to go. Because there are people in there that I love. And there are people in there that need to hear about me. And so I'm going to send you into those places. So think about that. The next time maybe the Lord's leading you in a place you don't want to go. Is it Samaria? Because maybe God's calling you there. The fourth thing, to the ends of the earth, to the entire world. And I think this is literal. I think absolutely we should be supporting global missions. But I think also it should help us think through um, places that we've never even thought about. How does God want us to expand our influence into places we haven't even seen before? I've got a friend back in Memphis who has um, boys uh, just like I do, and, and, and his boys are about the same age as mine, and so our boys are like real close, and me and him are really close, and we talk a lot about, like, when you have little kids, you always talk about how excited you are when they get older, the things you're going to get to do with them, right? Like, I can't wait till, till, we get to, uh, till we get to play basketball together, or I can't wait till we get to do this sport together, or you know what I mean? Like, or I can't wait to, like, maybe you like to hunt, so you're like, I can't wait till my son and I get to take something's life together. Um, and so I don't know, whatever. That's not me, but that's fine. That's you. But anyway, I can't wait till we play video games together. Like I have all these ideas and I can honestly say we never once sat around and said, I can't wait till our sons do Boy Scouts with us. Like that was never a sentence that came out of it. We were never sitting there going, I can't wait to show my son all of the knots he could be tying, right? Like I can't wait to show him the difference between this leaf and this leaf. Like that was never that was never in our conversation. And yet, my friend's son came home, wanted to be a part of the Boy Scouts, and guess what? Boom, he was a part. And my friend is now like scout leader, troop leader, scout captain, president of boys. Well, I don't I don't know what the titles are, but he's in charge. All right, so anyway, so he's did you say master? Ooh, I like that. I'm gonna be a part of that. Have a bunch of people call me master. All right, so anyway, so he's the master. Um, and so he's doing that, and he's all in. He goes on all their retreats. Like he, he plans everything he can. The, the church that hosts him is the Church of Christ, and they do a, um, like a, a Boy Scout Sunday where it's all about the scouts, and they like welcome them in. Nobody goes to those. Nobody. But he does. He goes to every single one, and he's all in. Why? Because he loves the scouts? No. He's a very busy guy. Like He has a very demanding job. But why does he do it? One, because he loves his sons, of course. But why else? He sees this as an opportunity for him to expand his influence into a place he never thought of. He's never even seen before. He's never been a part of the Scouts. And he saw this as an opportunity for for him to expand his influence and to be a witness in a new place. And that's where he is. And that's why he's there. He's continued to expand his influence to these families and to these boys and, and to this church that hosts them and to all of the other opportunities they have in the Scouts together. He's expanding his influence. So is the Lord giving you a path to expand your influence for him? I think you should follow that path. And I want to say, it's not easy. It's not easy to be his witness in all these places because this you stand out as a witness, right? Look at Acts chapter two. They stood out. Like the disciples, Jesus, like the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples and what? They have fire over their heads. I don't know if you're good 
at uh, hide and go seek. But let me give you a tip. If it's your turn to hide, don't light your head on fire and then hide behind the couch. They will find you, right? So they have like literal flames on their head and they come out and they speak before thousands of people. Peter stands up in front of thousands of people and gives a sermon. Their community at the end of Acts chapter 2 is so unique and so different. People keep showing up going, what is this about? What are these people doing? You will stand out. And we don't like to stand out, right? Like when I was a kid, I, I, uh, I didn't have a lot of name brand stuff. Like I still don't, but I, I just, I, but when I was a kid, it mattered because everyone had, you know, all kinds of cool shoes and whatever. And like Nikes were a big deal. And I didn't have Nikes. I had Knicks. And the, uh, like the slogan was just don't. Like that was the slogan. Just, just, just don't. And like that was the thing. Like I, I wanted like I wanted to fit in. I think we all do. I think that still goes on today. We want to fit in. But when you're a witness, you're different. You're a city on a hill. You can't be hidden is what Jesus says. And Jesus says, if you do it right, if you act like me, then they're going to treat you like they treated me. And they hated me. They're going to hate you. So you put a target on your back. It's not going to be easy. Look at them. They come out. They, are, they have the spirit of God on them. They're testifying about who God is. And people are making fun of them in Acts 2. People are going, ha ha, look, they're drunk. People are making fun of them. It's not always easy. So why do we do it? We do it for love. For love. If we love the Father, we'll obey him. He says, you're my witnesses. Yes, sir. I am your witness. But also, it's a care for other people. We live in a dark and broken world. And if Jesus is not your master, who is, according to the scriptures? Sin's your master. Sin's a terrible master. And I want you to think about people that you love that don't know Jesus. And I want you to think that right now, they serve a cruel master. A master that's not leading them to freedom. A master that's not leading them to a place of life. A master who will continually put more burdens on them and more burdens on them. A master that will ultimately break them. And how in the world can we look at anyone in our life and look them in the face and say, I love you when they're in bondage and we won't tell them about the chain breaker? How can we say we love them? They're struggling and they're in the darkness and they're in pain. And here we are with the light of the world. Here we are with the one who wants to set them free and we go, ah, they'll figure it out. It's for love that we go. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He sent Jesus in, so we go in. For love, we are witnesses. For love, we tell them about who Jesus is. For love, if we love our family, we'll step into their pain with the witness of healing that's in Jesus. If we love our coworkers, we will step into their brokenness with the witness of healing in Jesus. If we love, we will witness but how can we, like how in the world can we, just finite, regular, little broken people, how can we be witnesses of God with all of our fear and anxiety and, and, and all of our brokenness and incompleteness, how can we do it? When you look at Acts 1.8, how does Jesus start that? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. In Acts chapter 2, the disciples become the witnesses. In Acts chapter 1, they're not. What are they? They're waiting. What are they waiting for? The Spirit of God. 
When the Spirit of God comes on them, they are now witnesses. Everything has changed. I want you to even look about it. Look at how the Holy Spirit comes on them. Look at Acts 2, verse 2 through 3. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Sometimes in the scriptures we get a visible manifestation of the invisible God. So in the, in the Old Testament we see God leading his people out of Egypt with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. We see Jesus being baptized, coming out of the water and the Holy Spirit like a dove descending onto him. And every time we see a picture of God like that, it shows us his presence and it shows us his power. And that's what we have here in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, they hear a sound like a rushing wind. After my wife and I had been here about a month, um, the, the welcoming gift that we got from the state of Florida was a hurricane, which I would have taken an Amazon gift card or uh, an Aldi gift card for that, right? But we got a hurricane. And I'll tell you, like, listening to that wind, that mighty rushing wind, what do you hear? You hear power. I'm not about to go stand out in that. I'm hiding. Why? Because that's power. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's how he shows up with a mighty rushing wind. There's power there. And then ultimately we see the, the flames on their head. It's personal. God is there. And I think the Holy Spirit moved in such a visible way to show them and to show us that he is with us and his power is with us. I think he moved in such a way to remind you and to remind me and to remind them that as we go to be his witnesses, he says, I will be with you and my power will be with you. And so everything has changed now because we have the Holy Spirit. We can be his witnesses. I want you to look at how it changes. One, the Holy Spirit emboldens everyone to be a witness. The disciples are no ordinary dudes. Like they're just ordinary guys. And now they're standing in front of thousands. Like if I were to ask you right now, if I were to just pick you out and I would say, come up here. Here's a microphone. Talk about Jesus for a couple minutes. How many of you would throw up in your seats and how many of you would throw up on stage? All right, let's just see, right? Like, so you can't even do that. But these guys are literally standing in front of thousands of people and are proclaiming God. How? The Holy Spirit emboldened them to do it. Just like you. They're just like you. They're just like me. They're normal people. Well, I'm kind of normal. You're very normal. But anyway, the, he emboldens them. Peter. Look at Peter. Days earlier, a little girl was like, hey, wait a second. Aren't you a follower of Jesus? And he was like, nah. And now look at Peter. He's standing up in front of thousands proclaiming who Jesus is. What changed? The Holy Spirit changed. And he will embolden you. Think about it. Think about the places where God wants you to be his witness. Think about it. Do you get nervous? It's okay. Do you feel that anxiety? Do you feel that fear? I do. I absolutely do. There are times where people, I come face to face with somebody and I, I'm just getting nervous, right? Like, I don't know, like, they look smarter than me. Well, let's be honest, everybody looks smarter than me. But, like, I, I just kind of get nervous for whatever reason. That's okay. What the Holy Spirit can do is he can take that anxiety and he can take that fear and he can turn it into power. And that's what he did here. And he'll do it for us. We just have to ask. So the Holy Spirit, he emboldens us to be his witnesses. He also equips us to be his witnesses. We see the disciples, they, they come out and they're speaking languages they don't know. And so he will give us what we need to be his witnesses. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to enable you to speak a language you don't know, although he could. He absolutely could. But what I, I do mean is that he will supernaturally equip you. He'll give you supernatural wisdom to talk about him to people. He'll give you supernatural understanding. He'll give you this supernatural patience. He'll give you supernatural insight. I, I have to admit, I am not the most perceptive human being on the planet. I'm going to go ahead and put that out there, right? Like, I have this thing at home. Um, it annoys the mess out of my wife. When I open a drawer and take something out of it, I go, 
bye drawer, see you later. Like, I don't close it. I don't know why, but I leave drawers open all the time. Like, I just, like, I'll pull a spoon out, and I'll be like, I'll see you other spoons later, bye. And I just leave the drawer open, and it drives her nuts. And I don't always pick up on that. Like the other day, I picked something out of the drawer, left the drawer open because, you know, YOLO. And I went in the other room and I sat down and I hear her, hey, did you find what you're looking for in the drawer? And I was like, yep, sure did. Got it right here. Thank you. And then she's like, you sure you don't need anything else from the drawer? She is so considerate. No, baby, thank you, though. No, I don't. And I hear the drawer slam and I'm like, oh, did it. Is the drawer sticking again? Why don't you just leave it open and I'll come in and look at it in a little bit, right? Like I don't always pick up on that. But I'll tell you, when I've asked the Father to help me be his witnesses, he's given me supernatural insight sometimes. And this is not me. This is the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm dumb, God not, right? And, and so there have been times where I've literally like been walking through Target. I've seen a look on somebody's face, and the Holy Spirit's just gone, stop, you, you need to talk to that person. Like, like, or, or you just you do the thing where you walk by somebody and, and you, hi, and then stop right there, that you need to talk with that, that person. And the Lord gives you that. He will equip you with supernatural insight, supernatural wisdom. We just have to ask. And the last thing, the Holy Spirit convicts and draws others in. Look at verse 47. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict of sin and to draw people in. It's not you, it's not me. Remember the attorneys and the witnesses? He's the attorney. He's the one who convicts. He's the one who draws in. We just simply tell of what we know. Now, I hope that what that does for a lot of you is you can just breathe a sigh of relief. You can take the pressure off of you. I used to feel such a pressure that if I don't say the right thing, this person will miss who Jesus is. If I don't say the right thing, like I could completely mess up this person's life, right? So I'm just not gonna say anything, right? Because they might ask a question I don't know how to answer and that'll make God look stupid. And I, I don't know, like it, it's just gonna go bad. No, no, no. You tell what you know of God's truth in your life and in his word and in his church. You tell them that. The Holy Spirit's the one who convicts. Like no one's ever been talked into heaven or out of heaven. No one's ever, no one's ever shown up like in heaven and they're like, wait a sec, wait, this isn't what I signed up for. No, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws in. I was, one time I was preaching a sermon um, on, uh, on giving, on money, and uh, which is always super fun as a pastor. Just believe, like the next time I come, I'll do it for you. I'll preach this sermon on money. But anyway, I'm preaching this sermon and this guy comes up to me afterwards and he's in tears and he's like, I need to give my life to Jesus. And I was like, what? That's, you, you need to give money to Jesus? Like I don't, I didn't, that's not what I preached on. And he was, I said like, what, what's going on? And, and I had mentioned, I just said, you know, when Paul wrote this, he was in prison, yada, 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 like moving on. And he said, you know, two weeks earlier, I was in a jail cell. And I just realized that, like, I have made such a mess of my life. And when you said that, it made me think that maybe I wasn't alone in that prison cell. Maybe God hasn't left me alone. Maybe, maybe this has been his way of getting back to me. And maybe he wants me to come to him. And I was like, I don't, hang on, I'm going to look at my, no, I didn't, I didn't say any of that, right? Like, where did you get this? The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. The Holy Spirit is the one who transforms. We just simply testify to what we know. We're just witnesses. We can be witnesses. Thank God for the Holy Spirit's work. So I want to close with this. You know, in the Bible, just because you have the Spirit of God, it doesn't mean that you have the Spirit's power. It doesn't mean that, that, that you are like these disciples. What I mean is, like, in the book of Acts, you see the same people over and over again getting filled with the Spirit. Like, in this moment, some are filled. 
And a few chapters later, those same ones will be filled again. And then a few chapters later, some of those same ones will be filled again. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says that we need to be filled with the Spirit. So there's a difference there. There's a difference. There's a Holy Spirit filling that I think we need. And if you look in Acts chapter 1, what are they doing before the Holy Spirit shows up in Acts chapter 2? They're praying. They're praying. And then what happens? The Holy Spirit shows up. I think we need to change the way we think here, at the, here in, in church and, and even in our own personal lives. I think we need to change the way we think about being his witness. I think we need to be praying and asking God for his Holy Spirit. We need to be asking to be filled with the Spirit to go out and to do his work. And like later in the book of Acts, you'll see Peter heals a guy. The, the chief priests are like, ah, we don't like that. So they grab Peter and John and they bring them in and they threaten them. Like, you better shut up about that Jesus. And they keep threatening them and threatening them and threatening them. And they go back to the brothers and they say, we have been threatened. All of a sudden, being his witness is hard. Being his witness is something we can't do. We're afraid. This is rough. And so they pray. And look what happens. Look in Acts chapter 4. They pray this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Look at two things there. One, they did not pray for relief. They didn't say, look on their threats and would you protect us from them? Would you keep them away from, we don't want to get hurt. What's happening here? Their perspective's different. Their witnesses. Their main concern is witness. Not their own bodies. Not it's, Their main concern is witness. And look at what happens. They say, God, would you help us speak boldness? Help us continue to be your witnesses. It's not easy here. And that might be true for you too. You think about, God, help me be your witnesses in my workplace. It's not easy. Help me be your, workplace in, be your witnesses in my family. It's not easy here. It's not easy in my group of friends. It's not easy. Help me. And what happens? The Spirit of God is poured out of them in Acts chapter two. I think we need to be praying for the same thing because it's a gift. We can't conjure it with the right words, or the right moves or, the, or, or the whatever. We can't conjure that. It's a gift. I think we need to be praying for it. God, give us your Holy Spirit. In fact, that's how I want us to close today. I want us to pray for the Holy Spirit to, to fill us up and to fall on us. So I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm gonna ask you, if you feel comfortable, would you stand? You don't have to. If you don't, you don't have to. But if you feel comfortable, would you stand? The Bible talks a lot about posture. And in Psalms, you see it a lot when they're in worship, when they're in prayer. He talks about posture. And so I'm going to ask you if you feel comfortable. Even if you don't, just push yourself here. But put your hands out. Just put your hands out. It's just a posture of receiving from the Father. And I'll let the Spirit lead on this. Maybe, Maybe he even wants some of you to put your hands up to him. But just put your, put your hands out and let's just stop for a moment and think about him. Think about his power. There is no one like our God. The word says that mountains melt before him. The earth shakes at the sound of his voice. There's no one like our God. Think on his love. His love for you. While we were still sinners, 
why we still hated him, why we had no concern for him, why we only had concern for ourselves. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are so, so loved. Father God, there is no one who deserves to be spoken of like you. There's no one who deserves to have their name and their fame spread and proclaimed like you. So, Father, we recognize you called us to be your witnesses. And here we are as your children and as brothers and sisters. We're saying to you with our our hands open and extended out, Father, would you, for your fame, for your name, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us? We know it's nothing we can demand We know it's nothing we deserve. We know it's nothing we can conjure. We are simply coming before you powerless as your children saying, please, Father, pour out your spirit on us, please. And fill us up, not for our own benefit, not so that we can say how great we are, how special we are, how great grace is, but for your fame, that we would go out as children of the light into the darkness, that people would be able to see that there is a gracious and loving and merciful God alive and he's well and he's pursuing people, bringing people from darkness to life, setting people free. Would you use us, send us out as your ambassadors and as your witnesses, but Father, we have to go in your spirit. So Father, please pour out your spirit on us to proclaim your name and your fame and your glory and your majesty everywhere we go. Please, please pour your spirit out. We love you and we thank you for hearing us and we're waiting on you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.